Oh, no. Amanda told us that Love Stuff by L. King was a rock album, but I'm looking at the liner notes here, and there's a banjo in here. I think she's trying to sneak bluegrass past us again. Maybe not, Will. Banjos can be used in a lot of genres, right, Amanda? That's right, Rich. In fact, here are some examples. Space Ghost is excited about it. I don't know. He sounded pretty upset to me. Don't screw you. We're listening to the album anyway. This is Discord and Rhyme. <laughs> Welcome to Discord and Rhyme, a, sus- a podcast. I was about to say a suspect. <laughs> <laughs> Not a witness. We're, we're a person of interest where we discuss our favorite albums song by song. We're actually a podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and generally where podcasts are found. And you can find show notes and our full episode archive at disclaimer. Po- I'm sorry, <laughs> at discordpod.com. I have not been drinking, I promise. I have. <laughs> and our full I haven't today. <laughs> and you can find show notes in our full episode archive at our website, discordpod.com. Roll call. I am Chris Willie Williams. Amanda Rogers. Rich Bennell. And Mike DeFabio. And we have some new Patreon donors this week, Mike and Gary. Thank you very much for your generosity. We really appreciate it. If you like what you hear and you would like to support this podcast with a monthly donation, you can visit patreon.com slash discordpod. And thanks to those of you who have already. And now it's time to turn it over to this week's host, Amanda. What album do you have for us, Amanda? We are going to talk about Love Stuff, the debut album from L. King. And why this album? Because I think L. King is a fantastic musician and songwriter who is criminally overlooked and underrated. I have already heard her referred to as a one-hit wonder, which is inaccurate for one thing, because this album alone turned out three hits, Yeah, and it's unfairly dismissive. She has got time, and Love Stuff proves she's got the talent and ability, and I hope her career is long and glorious. And also because, while there are many reasons why I really love doing this podcast, one of the biggest is that I get to make my friends listen to music I like and then talk to me about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's your personal history with L. King, Amanda? Uh, Probably like a lot of people, toward the end of 2014, I started hearing X's and O's on the Spectrum channel on satellite radio. That's the the slightly offbeat station that plays songs from several different decades. And it tends to concentrate on just like a little bit underground stuff like the National and the Decemberists. 
And that's also where I discovered Kyla LaGrange, who's another artist I might cover eventually on here. Kylie Minogue? (laughs) No. (laughs) Damn. Eventually, she crossed over to the Top 40 station, which was a huge relief to me because that's the station that was usually playing in the office where I worked at the time. And by that point, if I heard Take Me to Church one more time, I was going to hurl the speakers out the window. Fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) God, I hate that. Yeah, no, I I can feel that. (laughs) Yeah. But I liked X's and O's so much that I bought Love Stuff just on the merits of that one song, which I never, ever do since getting burned by that tactic so often back in the 90s. And that gamble really, really paid off. I have been paying close attention to L King ever since, and I will listen to anything she cares to release. I definitely hear you on that 90s comment as a proud owner of Tub Thumper by Chumbawamba. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Did you actually pay full price for Tub Thumper? I think I did. Oh. I know. (laughs) I I got knocked down, but I got up again. I paid full price for the Squirrel Nut Zippers because of hell, <laughs> and none of the rest of the album sounds anything I like know. that. I know. It doesn't. Same thing. I think everyone who grew up listening to music in the 90s has at least one album they paid like $19 for for one mm-hmm. song. Right. <laughs> yeah. When we were teenagers in the 90s, that was a fucking lot of money. That was a lot of money. It was. Yeah. Anyhow, buy Love Stuff. <laughs> X's and O's is a good song. And the rest of the album sounds like it. So you, you yeah. can't go wrong there. It's a little early to call her a one-hit wonder, too, isn't it? I would yeah. think. I've, in general, I find conversations about one-hit wonders to be kind of obnoxious because that they're always just waiting for people to fail. And uh, it's just so obsessed with celebrity culture instead of music. I don't like mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I yeah, a Hit Parade did a whole episode about one-hit wonders that was really good. Oh, well, I mean, you know, like everything on Hit Parade, it's uh, that episode is very good, but I still yeah. find the concept obnoxious. Yeah, I agree. Well, uh, how about Mike? Uh, where did you come to El King from? Uh, my history with El King isn't. <laughs> uh, I only know about this album because Amanda signed me up for this episode. Yeah, this is going to be a common thread. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, p- I picked some names out of a hat because I was pretty sure nobody else knew the album. <laughs> Very well. Rich, what's your personal history with El King? <laughs> well, yeah, as, uh, as, as was just implied, I first learned about El King when Amanda put this album on our schedule and informed me that I would be part of its panel. Uh, but I have heard her music before in movies, uh, both the song Good Girls from the soundtrack to the new 2016 Ghostbusters uh, and the song Baby Outlaw, which played over the closing credits to the Charlize Theron action movie The Old Guard, which came out this year. <laughs> excited to cover an album from so recently and this is actually the most recent album we've covered on in the main feed it came out three days after the rhiannon giddens album oh wow yeah Yeah. and how did i of all people do our two most recent albums (laughs) you've just got the finger on the pulse of america i really i am hip to what the kids dig man Well, people who subscribe to our donor feed uh, can hear me talking about Carly Rae Jepsen's Emotion, which came out a little later in 2015. So uh, in the broader Discord and Rhyme sense, I'm the hip one. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. You're also the youngest of us, so that makes sense. And it's such a high bar to clear, Rich. (laughs) (laughs) You're all hip. (laughs) Tip to be square, man. As for me, I was unaware of L. King 
until Amanda suggested it to me. She put it on our schedule and signed me up for it. <laughs> yep. So that's the history of El King. <laughs> Definitely for my episodes, but I think for the whole podcast, I'm pretty sure this is the only time that everyone else on an episode has come in totally blind. It's an episode with three doofus noobs. Yes. <gasps> I get to explain it to all of you. This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Earth, Wind, and Fire episode was like that. But yes, you're the right. The less said about our first episode, the better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are also right about that. All right. Well, Amanda, do you want to kick us off with uh, some history of El King here? I can do that. Born Tanner L. Schneider in 1989, which makes her the youngest artist we have covered on this show and makes me feel just hideously old, to model London King and actor Rob Schneider. Yes, Deuce Bigelow himself. And now let us speak no more of that. <laughs> she grew up in Ohio. The sensitive with her... naked man from now on is all it will be. I don't get it. Oh, that was a recurring sketch of his. <laughs> did I or did I not just say, let us speak no more of Rob Schneider? <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. You like it, the Jews, huh? Oh, sorry. Elle King grew up in Ohio with her mother and stepfather, who is the person she credits with getting her interested in music after he gave her an album by the Donnas when she was a kid. And she gives him the credit for a lot of her musical upbringing. Like she tells a story about how she would want to buy like a shaggy CD and he would be all, no, 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 no. What you really want is ACDC or Hart or Aretha Franklin or Otis Redding or whatever. And she started playing guitar and banjo. And after she moved to New York as a teenager, started playing in nightclubs, thanks to a fake ID and lenient bouncers. She had started writing songs by this time, uh, mostly country songs on the banjo, until she saw a rock band in a club somewhere that included a banjo and realized, hey, I can play whatever I want on this thing. It doesn't have to be country and folk music. And that was an excellent day for music history. <laughs> uh, the L. King EP was released in 2012 on the Fat Possum label, and her song Playing for Keeps was chosen as the credits music for Mob Wives Chicago, which I've never seen, but I have to admit sounds fun. She was also putting up original songs on her SoundCloud around this time, including a really lovely little number called A Heart That Breaks Is A Heart That Wastes Its Time. Such a great title. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Well, the ghost in this old house are the only friends of mine. Because a good friend in this world is sure hard to find. Well, the love that comes is a love. Uh, here's a true fun story. The first place I heard that song was on L. King's Instagram stories in which she sang it to one of her donkeys. <laughs> Aww. 
And I, it was an adorable video. And I kept thinking, this is a great song. What is that? So I Googled it and found her SoundCloud and discovered it was an original. It's a fantastic song. Multiple donkeys. Yeah, she lives on a ranch. Donkeys. And has at least three donkeys, I think. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, all of this was enough to attract RCA's attention. And they released her first full-length album, Love Stuff, in 2015. And here we are. Terrific. I'm so used to talking about like eight other albums first, but we're done. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of fun when it's a debut. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Before we start talking about Love Stuff song by song, if you have any questions or feedback about the show or just want to drop us a line, we're on both Twitter and Instagram at DiscordPod, and you can email us at DiscordPod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Also, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, it would really help spread the word about this podcast if you left us a rating or review. It also feeds our egos, which is very important. And the album kicks off with the first, <laughs> appropriate enough, with the first song called Where the Devil Don't Go. Cast down where the devil don't go, devil don't go where I make my home. Cast down where the devil don't go, devil don't go where I make my home. Drown my woes in a lake of fire, sin a song won't take me high. Drown my woes in a lake of fire, sin a song won't take me high. Lucifer gonna set me free. Good Lord, turn his back on me. Lucifer gonna set me free. It's a mean world. I'm always complaining that the drums aren't loud enough. That is not a problem on this album. <laughs> L King is clearly a woman who appreciates a loud rhythm section. And I am right there with her. The percussion and bass are mixed really high through the whole album. And it is glorious. Now this song is one hell of a statement of purpose pun fully intended, even though I know it's stupid. <laughs> there are several songs here that are really interesting to listen to from a Christian perspective, because she clearly has her issues with religion, but they're a lot more specific than you often hear in rock music. L. King, it turns out, was partly raised by her grandparents, who were very, very religious. And she said in an interview once that she still felt like the devil will come and get her if she put a foot out of line. And that is an awfully uncomfortable way to live. And I hope she doesn't still feel like that. This was several years ago. But it sure did make for some excellent music, I gotta say. Now, I am very, very bad at determining genres beyond the really obvious categories. Like, I'm reasonably certain this is not Gregorian chant. So I don't quite know what you'd call this beyond Americana. Is it blues? Is it country rock? Is it really noisy folk? I'm not sure, but I don't really care all that much. It's just awesome. There are about a half a dozen different producers on this album, and they all have their little quirks. This particular one was done by John Hill, who's worked with a lot of modern pop artists, including Rich's beloved Carly Rae Jepsen, <laughs> Christina Aguilera, Imagine Dragons, and Shakira. And I really like his style, especially with the percussion, but the mix is a little bit weird. 
uh, he did it in stereo and the guitar is all in the left channel, which is a trick I don't tend to like all that much, but it does set off the little treble flourishes in the right channel, including the organ. There's an organ in this song. (laughs) So you really notice how mean and growly that guitar gets, especially in the chorus. And I've discovered over the last few weeks, this is an album that really, really pays off if you listen closely to it through good headphones. Mm-hmm. How about you, Rich? What do you think about it? I've been digging a lot into L. King's musical influences when reading about this album, not as a dig at her originality, but because this is the first album we've covered from the modern Spotify era where music is less about taking what you can get, what you can find in record stores, and more about like carving out something something distinctive given given that you can listen to pretty much anything you want. Uh, and I think uh, I think El King got a lot of her musical influence the old-fashioned way, like listening to LPs and CDs from her stepdad and going to live shows. Uh, but there was mm-hmm. still a lot of rock and R&B history to look back on by 2015, and you can hear it on this song. Uh, now, when I hear Where the Devil Don't Go, uh, the first thing that pops to mind is the yeah, yeah, yeahs. Hmm. Because Elking was a huge fan of theirs as a teen, apparently, and I and I imagine that living in New York City in the 2000s, like she did, getting into bars and clubs with fake IDs, uh, she probably got the chance to see them a bunch of times. This was their heyday in New York, um, uh, or at very least heard their music all over the place. Uh, and you can hear that here. Like, it's got, like, the same, like, punky energy as them, the keyboards, uh, King's vocals, which, uh, which bring to mind Karen O a little bit, uh, but with lyrics that feel more like something from a gospel song than like say a Brooklyn club basement. Mm-hmm. And that's cause she also listened to a bunch of like old soul musicians like Etta James, Aretha Franklin, Al Green, Otis Redding. It's all in a blender here. And uh, I think it's a really cool mixture. Mike, how about you? Well, it's, it's interesting how you, how you talk about uh, L King's religious upbringing and, uh, and all of that, because uh, the fear of eternal hellfire and the devil in his tail as well is what fueled a lot of early rock music. You know, what what do you think uh, mm-hmm. those great balls of fire were that Jerry Lee Lewis was singing about? Yeah, uh, and he yeah. was famously constantly afraid of going to hell. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure that is by no means lost on El King. So this mm-hmm. this ties into that pretty well. And there's there are a lot worse ways to start an album off than stomping away and singing about the devil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm usually somebody who's uh, not a, a big fan of sort of hard stereo panning like you mentioned but it's it's done really well here because whatever's mm-hmm. whatever's panned way over here there's something else way over on the other side to balance it out yeah they mixed it up a little more so it's not like you've got all the guitar over here and all the drums over here like yeah. say the early like the 60s stereo mixes often were right yeah like it's it's carefully chosen what they're going to separate yeah so and it's by the time the song reaches its peak you've just got these different sort of clattery noises happening all over the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and regarding the religious subject matter of the song, I, I mean, I, you hear, like, the phrase, there's a special place in hell for, like, X or Y, like, people who do, like, so-and-so, but um, I like the idea that there's a special place in hell for her that where even Satan himself won't go. Uh, I think that's a nice twist on it. Yeah. Oh, that hadn't occurred to me. I like that. Like, there's a special place in hell for me. <laughs> yeah, not even the devil. <laughs> I like that. It's where they play all the new age music. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I think I think this one makes a fabulous introduction to El King. It it foregrounds her scrappy pinched voice while force feeding you a slightly scuzzy arrangement that snaps with the catchy adrenaline of Skip to My Lou played on rusty mouse traps. I can't say I'm as crazy about her her sort of rough and tumble persona. Um I'm sure, I have no doubt that it's authentic or anything like that. I just find that it's the sort of thing it's easy to do, but not so easy to do well. Like, in my opinion, there's a, artists like Lucinda Williams and Nico Case put a lot of thought into the lyrics, arguably more so than... How do I want to say this? El King's concerts are the sort of place where I get the sense that you would see a lot of pickup trucks in the parking lot that say, Silly boys, trucks are for girls. <laughs> And it's, there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but you're also not trying as hard as you could, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get it. I don't. I don't think I agree, but I get it. But even still, how how can you not sing along to this wonderfully bouncy bit of blasphemy? <laughs> with a lot of guilt as you're pulling into your church with the windows down, not realizing how loud you have the song turned up. <laughs> That's the ideal way to listen this to a song. This may like this. or may not have happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to top that. So we'll move on to <laughs> track two X's and O's. here uh rich you're the one who got me paying attention to a good track too this is a good you track made a really too. I good also, point yeah and i also like <laughs> when uh when track two is a single while also being a magnificent track too it's a it's a hard needle to thread and it's just a really fun love them and leave them song this hit number one on billboard's hot rock and alternative songs chart and it peaked at number 10 on the hot 100 the rest of the top 10 that week included two justin bieber songs and one taylor swift Plus, it happened during the reign of Hello by Adele. Hello from the other side. This is the second episode in a row that we've mentioned Adele in. It's almost like she's an important and <laughs> influential musician or something. Well, time to cover her. It must be. <laughs> this does not sound anything like the other things that were on the radio at that time, but it has, this is a hit written all over it. I think L. King has a fantastic rock voice. And the song has a really good swing beat and just a ridiculously catchy melody. The one issue I have with it, which comes up a few more times on this album, is that it loses momentum about halfway through the verse at the hey bit. I just I wish it had kept going. Mm. Uh, I know the part you mean. Yeah. Yeah. 
This was co-written and produced by Dave Bassett, whose other credits that year included Rachel Platten's Fight Song, which was also all over the radio and which I hated. So that's unfortunate. Well, and that one's like very closely connected to the Hillary Clinton campaign, too. So, Oh, yeah, you're right. And also, I thought that was Kelly Clarkson until extremely recently, but she had that awful song about being six years old right around then. Anyhow, there's a lot of stuff on modern radio that I don't care for. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> but he did a, a bang up job on this one. I really, really like the arrangement of this song. As always, I am loving the percussion on this album. And there's some really sick fuzz guitar in there as well, which is extra cool because Elle's voice sounds a lot like a fuzz guitar and they go hmm. together extremely well. There is a video for the song and it is excellent. <laughs> L King is hanging out at a campsite in the desert surrounded by men who are clearly just there for eye candy. And they took some of the sillier sexy lady tropes and just swapped in dudes with no other change whatsoever. And it is hilarious and wonderful. Like there's a couple of guys mud wrestling and some other dudes doing headstands in their underwear for no apparent reason. And it's just, I think it's hilarious. I love that video. The aesthetic of it reminds me of Breaking Bad. Yes, it does. The trailer out in the <laughs> desert. Yeah. Well, apparently, if you worked in retail in 2015, this song was inescapable. And mm -hmm. uh, if I had worked in retail around that time, uh, maybe I would have grown to hate this song. But I never leave the house, so I like it just <laughs> fine. Um, <laughs> None of us do anymore. Well, true. Yeah. But I didn't <laughs> then either. This was the first song from the album that I heard. And uh, being the first L. King song I heard, what, what struck me was uh, it's unusual to hear uh, a contemporary singer with such a pronounced Wanda Jackson influence. And uh, oh. if you don't know who Wanda Jackson is, uh, she was the she's a rockabilly star from the days of old. And uh, she's actually mm -hmm. still around. She's like in her 80s and she's done stuff with like the cramps and Jack White and people like that. Oh, Yeah. But I've got a clip of one of her songs here so you can hear what I'm talking about. This is from a song called Funnel of Love. Here I go falling down, down, down. Oh, you're totally right. Yeah. My head is spinning around and around as I go deep into the funnel of love. Oh, I like this. I do too. Yeah. It's so good. It's such a crazy, crazy feeling. I get weak in the knees. My poor old as I go deep into the funnel of love. Mike, Funnel of Love is one of my favorite songs. Thank you so much for putting it in this episode. <laughs> and I totally agree with the similarity. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I first heard it on the I first heard the song on the Rhino Girl Group's compilation, One Kiss Can Lead to Another, which uh, is actually holding up my monitor as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I Wanda Jackson is one of those names that I know, but I'm not real familiar with her actual music. And clearly I need to get on that. Yeah, Funnel of Love is kind of a cult hit that kind of just, uh, it was it was originally a B-side. It just eventually kind of broke out because it, just a song like that can't be contained in a B-side. <laughs> and it was covered by The Fall. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I have not heard that. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, uh, regarding X's and O's, uh, <laughs> it's interesting to hear a song from the perspective of a manizer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you don't hear too many of those. I'm, I'm not uh, as enamored with the video. As some people are, but that that has more to do with my own uh, inherent hatred of the male form. There are some chiseled abs in that video, like abs <laughs> with abs. <laughs> That's part 
exactly why I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually don't remember hearing this song at, in 2015. Uh, I probably heard it just moving around in the world at, at the grocery store and such, but I probably don't remember it because everything got drowned out by Uptown Funk that year. That's all I remember yeah. from 2015. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only song. That and Hello. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and I think Hotline Bling was that year, too. Wow, we're yep. mentioning oh, so yeah. many new cool songs. We're so cool. <laughs> um, but, so, uh, X we're on the cutting edge. X is and O's. Personally, I, I think it's a banger, but uh, one thing, uh, the riff and the overall tone, every time I hear it, it's very similar to Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode. Oh, mm. my God, you're right. Feeling hard for me to turn that similarity off that said um as i mentioned back in our mtv never mind the mainstream episode i'm not a huge fan of personal jesus i've just never cared for it very much but i think x's and o's is a really cool song so it's a it's a nice variation on it yeah as i recall i was supposed to be on that episode but i was sick but i instructed you to say how awesome personal jesus is so it makes <laughs> sense that i also really love x's and o's <laughs> <laughs> i have to admit though i've taken to playing this song in my head, but replacing a bunch of the words with lines from the Blarney Stone by Ween. <laughs> Patty was nice, she was pale and cute, but I threw her away like an old piece of fruit. That <laughs> That is a mashup that desperately needs to happen. By the way, also, this feels like one of those songs where uh, explaining the title might get us the explicit tag, but yeah. have, you, have, you all th- have you all thought about it? <laughs> No. X's and O's. It's uh, it's memories of all of her past orgasms haunting her. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> I've just been annoyed by the unnecessary apostrophes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's badly punctuated. And I always did think it was a clever phrase, but I didn't I didn't get that. <laughs> anyway, as, as for me, I, I totally agree with all you guys. I love how enormous the drums sound on this whole album and this song in particular intentionally sort of overcompresses them without letting them lose focus in an indistinguishable blur. And this this is going to sound like an odd comparison, but around the 215 mark, there's a brief fuzzy guitar solo that sounds like the sort of thing Ronald Jones played on mid-90s Flaming Lips albums like Clouds Taste Metallic. Huh. It was enough to actually have me pull up the liner notes and see if longtime Flaming Lips producer Dave Friedman produced this album. Hmm. He did not. It's produced uh, in the way that he would, you know, just compress everything. Yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, it felt to me, and it, it feels to me like he's a fairly big influence on, or his style at least, is a fairly big influence on this album, which is obviously another plus. But regardless of of the production, King is the album's star. And when she heaves that scratchy Ella Fitzgerald with a throat abscess voice into a song as irresistible as this one, it's hard to think about anybody else who might be involved with the track. It's great. Mm -hmm. And we'll follow that up with another great one called Under the Influence. 
This was the album's third single and peaked at number 47 on the Hot Rock and Alternative chart, while X's and O's and America's Sweetheart were still in the top 10. Uh, this is starting to feel like one of our Motown episodes. I don't usually do chart information in our regular ones because <laughs> it's not usually relevant. <laughs> Where did they place on Cashbox? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think to look. <laughs> For a long time, I thought this was a weak spot on the album, but I have really come around just in the last few weeks. This is another Bassett production and co-write, and it's still not my favorite on the album, but it has plenty of really interesting details, especially the bass line and the synth strings in the chorus. There's a really, really cool James Bond feel to it. L. King is also a terrific lyricist. The metaphor in this song is not exactly an original one. Uh, Two other excellent examples are Hard Habit to Break by Chicago and High on You by Survivor. Uh, But it's very well executed and very dramatic. (laughs) I like how she did it. Mike, what about you? Yeah, I like this one. It's, uh, I want to say it has sort of an Amy Winehouse feel to it, but I've I've never actually listened to a whole lot of Amy Winehouse, so I don't know how accurate that is. I almost brought her up in this, for this particular song, because you're right, this is very Amy Winehouse. a suspicion that this sounds like Lana Del Rey, but I've never actually been able to get through the first like (laughs) minute of a Lana Del Rey album. So I can't actually tell you that. Yeah, I'm with you there. I like this much more than any Lana Del Rey song I've heard. Um, And I've I've seen a few people make the the James Bond comparison. And I'd say it's it's Mm. it's maybe not uh, Goldfinger level, but uh, certainly better than the one for Octopussy. <laughs> I'd say it's about Skyfall level. I've never actually heard the theme from Skyfall, so I can't say. Oh no! No, that's actually the only Bond movie me. I've ever seen. I really liked it. There, there are some really bad Bond themes, though. Yes, there are. Oh yeah. But also, I, I have to wonder if that's maybe a Mellotron in the chorus there. Oh. Or if, if it's not, How does that make you feel about the song, Amanda? <laughs> Better. <laughs> it's. It might be. I'm. I'm wondering if it's either a Mellotron or some sort of uh, virtual Mellotron emulator. I'm not sure. Is it whatever Mellotron plugin that King Crimson uses when they go on tour? Yeah. <laughs> nobody's dragging an actual Mellotron around the world anymore. Right. I would say this is one of my favorite productions on the album. Like the the way that hot '90s groove, like it dissolves into those like really dramatic descending strings. Like as soon as I heard mm-hmm. those for the first time, I was like, "Oh, this is so cool!" <laughs> it feels extremely cinematic, and I think that the 007 thing is a really good like point of reference. Um, if I were to dock the song for anything, it, it's it's that it really does feel like a production in the truest sense. Like it's meant to dazzle you in widescreen, uh, but like the skeleton of the song doesn't really hold up very much on its own. Uh, and there, so there's a clip on YouTube of a performance of the song on uh, New York City's WFUV, and, and they don't change much about the song or the arrangement per se. But without that extra bit of pizzazz from the production, it doesn't gel nearly as well. Just another morning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. All that grit on the studio version kind of glues it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, all the pieces are there. Like, it's the same song, but yeah, it's just... Uh, and it, it should be said, there is really. a lot of great Elle King live on, on YouTube. She's a great live yeah. performer, but uh, I just wanted to use yeah. that as an example of just a, a song, like, really belonging in the studio. Um, and another thing is that the song, another minor bit, I, I keep coming up with things I don't like about this song, even though I like it, but uh, I guess, like, a one thing is that it suffers from the karaoke ending nightmare, which is where there's a full minute left of the song and nothing but the same chorus <laughs> oh, oh. over and over again. <laughs> I, I don't like that in any song. Like, uh, by the way, Spiderwebs by no doubt is way longer than you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> so is uh, Sick of Myself by Matthew Sweet. Oh, yeah. There's like two really long instrumental bits. Are you telling me you get sick of Sick of Myself? Yeah, there have actually been cases during karaoke parties where that's happened and I just like turn off the song and walk away yeah. and people are like, what are you? And people are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm being efficient. I'm letting someone else go and sing. But I don't get it. Because karaoke parties are all about efficiency. Yeah, they are. <laughs> my karaoke parties are. Anyway, yeah, this uh, this one isn't my very favorite song on Love Stuff, but it's probably the one I wind up humming to myself the most once the record's over. Like you said, another one produced and co-written by Bassett. This one changes the channel from X's and O's and gives us a tale of a toxic but addictive relationship. And King has loads of fun drawing obscene cartoons in the nap of the arrangements, otherwise smooth velvet, attacking her vocals with a raspy forcefulness that suggests Joanna Newsom impersonating Courtney Love. Whoa. Oh, that's great. That's 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 good. Yeah. I can hear that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wanda Jackson and that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, well, we've come up to song four, which is called Last Damn Night. Oh, now we do get the explicit tag. <laughs> I like about this album is that it has a lot of genre experimentation in it. L. King does not believe in staying in her lane. And I love that about her. Mm -hmm. This is the, the heaviest song on the album. Would you, would you call this metal? I don't know. Probably not, but I feel like it comes close. Maybe metal in the classic sense. When the Black yeah, Sabbath maybe. episode, you're talking about how like Black Sabbath were the original metal. And then the definition has kind of changed over the years as metal has gotten heavier. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's what I mean. However, this does feel a little bit clunky to me, and I think it's the least successful genre experiment here. I do still like it, though, and the opening line is fantastic. Um, I got one hand on the bobble and one foot in the grave. I think that's really, really good. And the whole song is full of great lines, especially you get eight long lives, boy, you're going to cry when the ninth one creeps up on you. And that whole verse is based on numbers, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It's It's so cool. It taught me how to count. and later in the song after she sings time is running out there's a repeated high note on the piano that sounds like an alarm clock which i think is a very clever detail Uh, this song is produced by jeff basker who collaborated with kanye west on my beautiful dark twisted fantasy and a few other albums and he's also worked with jay-z and mark ronson speaking of uptown funk uh who also (laughs) co-wrote this song yeah, he, apparently he also plays guitar here. I, I would have mm-hmm. never pictured this as a song that involves that involved him, but you're never very yeah, far from Mark surprising, Ronson isn't it? In the 2010s. Yeah. Yeah, we should just play Six Degrees of Mark Ronson. <laughs> um, this is probably my least favorite song on the album. I, uh, I just don't really have much use for these kinds of like good times bar brawl songs. Like <laughs> th- mm-hmm. this is the part of bar night where I go outside to get some air and sit on the curb with my phone and post like whiny tweets about how you can't hear anyone talk in bars because i'm in my 30s <laughs> and that's yeah, true we're, we're the olds now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i agree with you on on that too it, to me it sounds unfortunately as though king was trying to write the theme song for a sons of anarchy spinoff or something <laughs> <laughs> if you strip off the successfully gruff demolition derby production this song is just closer to the sort of basic unexciting crossover country bluesy stuff that just bores me to puke Hmm. and again it's i i feel like the lyrics are just not there like not not Mm -hmm. that impressive for me i'm gonna live my life like it's my last damn night is a easy fine sentiment to come up with but it's hardly impossible to come up with a line like the handsome families. If my life was as long as the moon, I'd still be jealous of the sun. If my life lasted only one day, I'd still be drunk by noon. Because all roads lead back to the handsome family for you, don't they? They do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this one doesn't do much for me either. What about you, Mike? Well, uh, I would hesitate to call this metal, but I do hear a little bit of deep purple in there. Hmm. I'm thinking of their song Into the Fire from Deep Purple and Rock. And we have a clip from that specifically to annoy Will. (laughs) Successful annoyment achieved. You can turn it off. You're right. This does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The riff is very similar, isn't it? <laughs> but Will, you've listened to Deep Purple so much, I thought they were your favorite. <laughs> Will, didn't one of our old colleagues make you listen to Deep Purple for like twelve hours on a car ride once? Yes, <laughs> mm-hmm. famously. I understand. I won't name any names, but yes. The, the most interesting thing about this song to me is that uh, she recorded it at Sun Studio. And oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. And her lead vocal has that slapback echo on it, which if you're going to record at Sun Studio, you pretty much have to have. Oh, that's fantastic. I can't believe I hadn't found that out. This gives me the perfect opportunity to tell the story about the time I was a huge asshole at Sun Studio. (laughs) (laughs) I was there during Elvis week 
in 2001. It was the 25th anniversary of his death. And we went on the tour of Sun Studio. It's a very, very cool place to go. You should all go there. And there's in the front room, there's a jukebox that's free and it's all loaded up with Sun artists. And of course, it was just Elvis after Elvis after Elvis. And that by that point, I'd heard so much Elvis, I wanted to puke. So I went and loaded it up with about 10 Johnny Cash songs in a row. (laughs) And then I ran over to the other side of the room (laughs) and watched everybody get really angry when all the Johnny Cash songs came on. (laughs) They didn't have Brian Eno's Thursday afternoon. Oh, if only. (laughs) It's like the, wasn't it uh, What's New Pussycat that John Mulaney told the story about playing over and over? (laughs) Followed by one It's Not Unusual. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't as clever as that, but it was still really fun. <laughs> but I, I love hearing details like that about the, uh, the about like the physical form of a studio influencing the music. Like I really only know like that the details about like the Motown studio that we've talked about in our composites. But yeah, and I don't, I don't yeah. know if they were mm-hmm. using you know the original tape recorder that they used for the the slapback echo. But I think they they figured we're recording at Sun Studio. We might as well you know give it sort of that sonic quality. Well, why else would you record at Sun right, Studio, right? Yeah. Isn't that the point? <laughs> or I guess just to say you did, but yeah. Yeah, which is very cool to say. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, if nobody else has anything about Last Damn Night, as they shouldn't, we're going to move <laughs> on to Cocaine Carolinas, track five. Uh, both words start with Ks, so we can be pleased that she stopped there. <laughs> song is the first we really get to hear of the banjo on this album and it is spectacular now to give you an idea of how the banjo is played (laughs) there are several styles of banjo playing but the two big ones are bluegrass and claw hammer bluegrass is the style you probably think of when you hear the word banjo and it was popularized by earl scruggs in the 1940s and 50s he didn't invent it but he did a lot to bring it to the world's attention Uh, The classic example of this is Scruggs' own Foggy Mountain Breakdown, heard here in a cover by Douglas Dillard because I don't own a recording by Scruggs himself. Oh. (laughs) That never occurred to me that this was a composition. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's like Flower of Scotland. That's just that song wow. you hear on the bagpipes. This is just that song you hear on the banjo. <laughs> <laughs> that was like when I learned what song was. <laughs> I got to see uh, Earl Scruggs live once, and uh, his set ended with a, a massive crowd moshing to the ballad of Jed Clampett. That is amazing. <laughs> I wish I'd been there. So what we're hearing in Cocaine Carolina is Clawhammer style. It is much older than bluegrass style. And while I'm, I'm fuzzy on the exact differences because I'm not a banjo player, although I'd love to learn, I think it largely has to do with how you move your right hand and how many fingers you use to pluck the strings. Uh, in my experience, Clawhammer tends to be far less busy than bluegrass style, and it's a lot easier to pick out the melody. And this is the type of playing you hear from Sufjan Stevens. Well, this is the first Sufjan Stevens song you ever sent me. This is the one that made me a fan. Making me nostalgic for Michigan. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Now, as for Cocaine Carolina, my word, this is a lovely song. And the lyrics just break my heart. Most of the songs on this album have co-writer credits, but I'm inclined to think Elle King is mostly in charge of her own lyrics because they're all clever and thoughtful in a very consistent way. And the line in this one that really jumps out at me is, who'd want to live longer anyway? What a gut punch. Mm-hmm. Now, way back on the Velvet Underground episode, when we were talking about I'll Be Your Mirror, I mentioned how much I like platonic love songs, and I used Cocaine Carolina as an example of a really, really good one. And I stand by that. I think this is one of the most kind and loving songs of friendship that I have ever heard. And it, sometimes it makes me cry a little bit just because of how sweet and loving it is. Now, this is another Basker production, and it is wildly different. From the last one, you you wouldn't necessarily think you'd have something this delicate and pretty in him, but here we are. Uh, the synth bass actually works extremely well for once, and the piano in the second half of the song is just beautiful. I especially love the parts where the piano doubles what the banjo is doing. And also the backing vocals are terrific, and here's a fun pit of, bit of trivia for you. One of the backup singers credited on this album is Allison Porter, who's best known as Curly Sue. Don't know who that is. Oh, you didn't see that movie? <laughs> oh, I was uh, wondering if you were talking about the movie. I didn't see it, but... Uh, yeah, I saw it. I was like, it. is there it's another weird. thing called Curly Sue? <laughs> no, it's the, the movie in the 80s where she plays a scrappy little moppet. I didn't watch anything in the 80s except the chipmunk adventure over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she was in that. Well, so at this point, it really hit me that this is a really well-sequenced album, which is mm -hmm. pretty amazing for 2015 when supposedly nobody but us listens to albums anymore. Yeah. Right. Uh, but the, there's a nice, like, sit down and chill out with the banjo vibe to the whole middle section of the album. Like, after it opens with these four, like, really lavish ear-catching, like, again, cinematic productions. And uh, I, I think it's uh, nice that they actually, like, thought about what order the song should go in. But the banjo makes me think of something else, which is like the sheer, like just size of the production of, of an album in, in the 2010s. So I, I mentioned that I talked about Carly Rae Jepsen's uh, 2015 album Emotion in our donor feed. Uh, and one thing that came up during that discussion was that just the process of producing a major label album has just gotten a lot 
bigger in recent years. Uh, and I bring that up specifically for Cocaine Carolina, because if you look at the credits for Love Stuff, you'll you'll find five bassists, 13 guitarists, 14 credited for drums, percussion and beats. Uh, beats are mm-hmm. a really important component of a lot of modern albums. Uh, you also have 12 engineers, six producers and four programmers. But for the credit that says banjo, just El King. And I'm glad that given such a massive production, she managed to retain complete ownership of this one instrument. They didn't call in any other like banjo ringers or anyone. It's all just her. As for the song itself, I kind of wish it was even simpler, honestly, like without the keyboards. Uh, But like we've already said, Jeff Basker, he worked on Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. So uh, I'm I'm taking it that empty space isn't really his forte (laughs) as a producer. (laughs) Like there's a reason they call that album Maximalist. Fair enough. What do you think, Mike? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what this song makes me think of, there's there's an old Steve Martin bit about how it's impossible to play a sad song on the banjo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, death and grief and sorrow and murder. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a good bit, but Steve Martin knows full well that that is just not true. <laughs> right. And Steve Martin is an excellent banjo player. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, but my... Uh, Argument number one against that claim is uh, that Sufjan Stevens song we just heard. Uh, but this is a good one, too. Mm-hmm. Just very pretty and sad. And I, I like the uh, the combination of the, the banjo and the synth bass. It's two, two great tastes that you wouldn't expect to taste great together. Um, maybe because it's it at least sounds like an analog synthesizer, whether it is or not. It's not like, you know, you're bow, 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 sort of... Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> It doesn't do that. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking about this as opposed to those of you who are on our Patreon feed may have heard our bonus episode on Bruce Hornsby. Hmm. And there's that hideous synth bass on the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this one is like the opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah. This, is, this one's my favorite on the album by a country mile. Just, uh, again, uh, as Rich was talking about the sequencing, when I first listened to it, judging by the first four songs, where King brays her lyrics in a way that makes Nick Nolte's voice sound as smooth as a Ken doll's groin, I wouldn't have thought her <laughs> capable of singing in such a beautiful and vulnerable way. But she does. She mm-hmm. pulls it off. And I also love the the thoughtfully simple arrangement with... I, I like that there is something beside the banjo, um, and I like the way the banjo is played in that sort of rainbow connection, <laughs> claw hammer style. Yeah. But also the synth bass sounds like it's slithered over from a granddaddy song or something. Hmm. It's it's not at all what you would expect. And music musically, lyrically, everything, it's just as shearingly beautiful as anything you would hear on a Phoebe Bridgers record. Mm-hmm. And that is high praise for me. We should cover no, Stranger agree. in the Alps, speaking of, like, new albums. We should. I agree. Yeah, that would shatter the record for newest <laughs> album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's really good. Yeah, Will, I am super excited to hear what other comparisons you're going to make for El King's voice, because they've all been really good so far. <laughs> oh, I think that's about it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we'll just have to wait till we cover her next album since amanda seems determined to cover all the albums by her favorite bands uh-huh. <laughs> 11 more bruce hornsby records coming up yeah <laughs> 
For now, though, we're still on Love Stuff, and it's up to song six, Song of Sorrow. song on the album that is credited only to l king as the songwriter and hot damn it's a good one there's more really excellent lyrics here i think the phrase scripture slinging man is just wonderful and i love the line in the second verse i'm repaying all the time i borrowed the whole song has a really nifty storybook feel to it but twisted into something more dark and adult which is something she's very very good at this is produced by John Hill, same guy who did Where the Devil Don't Go, and he did a really great job with this one. I think it's a rock song at heart, but the country and bluegrass details in it are very, very well done. Also, there's a credit in the liner notes for Bazooki, and I think it might be in here. I thought that was a mandolin for a long time, but it might be the mystery Bazooki. I'm not totally sure. <laughs> Lowest rated Scooby-Doo episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh there is one thing that bugs me a tiny bit about the song and that is that the little riff on the mystery bazooki at the very beginning sounds distractingly like the mcdonald's jingle <laughs> do, 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 do. anyhow but otherwise are you loving this it? is yes exactly this is one of my favorites on the album what about you uh rich well, uh, th this is one where context is really important, because if I just heard the song playing in a coffee shop or like Target or something like completely free of knowing El King or this album, uh, I'd honestly probably write it off. But showing up as part of this little valley of chill on love stuff, uh, which I might mention is an album that my friend Amanda likes a lot. <laughs> um, uh, with, uh, I don't mind it as much, but I still don't love it. Uh, well, so mm. I, I guess like uh, the problem here is that it's really tough for me to take that wordless chorus seriously. I've just mm. I, I've heard stuff oh, that sounds really? like that on so many like feel good ads, like those yeah. like those ninety second big pharma ads where you watch people walking around smiling while a voiceover reads off a list of dozens of potential side effects. Uh, like you they always no hear. longer say side effects. They say these things have happened. <laughs> Are you serious? No, yeah, they don't oh, say shit. may cause. They may say they say have may ha have happened. This is oh, such no. a fucking dystopia. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, it's a, another thing. Well, it's, it's the same tone to me as uh, "Home" by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Oh yeah. Oh, 
like you're marching home at dusk with your bearded mountain commune so you can build a fire and brew a piping hot Keurig cup. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's a very fair point, but I love that wordless chorus. I think it's really beautiful. No, I think I'm criticizing the song like based on a bunch of like factors that are like, you know, I guess extra textual is a way of putting it. Uh, mm. And I guess that's just I don't know. And that's just kind of the way music works. Like it hits you in a certain way or it doesn't. But yeah. well, and that's I, the I thing. music doesn't occur in a vacuum. It's mm -hmm. it's affected by everything around it. So it's totally fair. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm saying is thanks, Big Pharma. And thanks, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. <laughs> Yeah. Although I, I will say that Valley of Chill is going to be the name of my debut album. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what do you think about this one? I'm kind of with Rich here. I, I don't uh, I don't dislike the song at all. And I it's not even the wordless chorus that I don't like. It's I think I've I've pinned it down to that glockenspiel. It just it sounds <laughs> really it makes it sound like the background to a YouTube video of some kind. Maybe maybe something about how you won't believe what the puppy did next. <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't mind the song at all. I just don't like it as as much as Amanda. I like the, the little trick it pulls at the beginning where you think it's going to be either going to be two songs in a row. And, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. But then it picks up right when it needs mm. to. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I was I was feeling like, wow, coming directly after Cocaine Carolina, Song of Sorrow might have... Uh been more effective elsewhere in the playlist but then it does kick back up with this sort of polyphonic spree influenced Ooh. exaggeration <laughs> good comparison but but yeah it's it's not not one of my favorites but yeah i like i like it uh so now it's time for america's sweetheart track seven <laughs> No, they ain't nothing that I gotta prove You think your words will make me black and blue But I, I think I'm pretty with these old boots on I think it's funny when I drink too much You try and change me, you can go to hell Cause I don't wanna be nobody else I like the chip I got in my front teeth and I got bad tattoos you won't believe So kick out the jams, kick up the soul Pour another glass of that rock and roll Turn up the band, find the hole Gonna lose control tonight What do you want from me? I'm not America's sweetheart So beat the drum with me I'm not America's sweetheart This got to number 10 on the Hot Rock and Alternative chart. Ahead of it were Stressed Out by 21 Pilots and L. King's uh, own X's and O's. Plus, woo. it was that very dark time in music history when Disturbed covered the sound of silence. <laughs> and that very dark time when 21 Pilots were still a thing you would hear anywhere. <laughs> I like 21 Pilots. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to apologize. <laughs> okay, I hate them. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's fine. You're allowed. All right. I will admit part of the appeal of this album for me is wish fulfillment. 
the life described in this song is so far removed from my own life that I can't even see it from here. Now, I like my life, don't get me wrong, but it's fun to daydream sometimes. Like, what if I were to go get every tattoo I have ever thought about and go out and party and do all the drugs and break men's hearts on the daily, all while saying exactly what I think at all times? Now, that is not me at all, but I like thinking about it. Well, you are a daydream believer. It's true. My middle name is Gene, so that fits. Now, all that being said, this song does have a strong whiff of I'm not like the other girls about it, which is an attitude that I really despise because us girls got to stick together, not compete with each other over who is the coolest. If you want to be a cool lady, be cool to other ladies is what I always say. But this is such a fun and catchy song with a banjo and nifty whistle sounds and subtle backing vocals yelling, hey, after every line that I didn't even notice until I started listening to this on headphones. Another big 2010s music trope. (laughs) It really, really is. This one is co-written and produced by Martin Johnson, who has worked with Avril Lavigne, Daughtry and a bunch of other people I'm not familiar with. Plus, he's a musician himself. And... Part of the fun of this song, honestly, is hearing all of these nifty modern production techniques used for good and not evil. And I do think the song has an excellent arrangement. Leading up to the chorus, you know, I I mentioned before that some of the songs lose momentum, but this one feels less like that and more like you're running up a hill and then you jump right off a cliff, like maybe on a hang glider. (laughs) (laughs) But do you make a deal with God first? Yes, you do. (laughs) Well, you have to before you jump off the cliff. (laughs) I do really love her vocal performance in this song, too, especially around the three minute mark when she just spits out the lyrics. What do you want from me? I like that trick when all the instruments drop out and it's just the vocal for a second, especially when it's as good a vocal as that. The line that jumps out at me in this song is in the second verse when she sings, they said I'll never be the poster type, but they don't make posters of my kind of life. There is also a music video for the song. It's a very fun roller derby theme in which Elle's eye makeup seriously rivals Kate Bush's on the cover of The Dreaming. Well, one thing I like about the music video is that like Elle King is singing at what appears to be a combination square dance and roller disco competition. Yeah. And people are doing like very difficult looking like stomping moves while wearing roller skates, which is really mm-hmm. impressive. Many uh, of which an- look utterly terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that kind of like sums up this song to me because it's the only song that really verges on country pop, I would say. But it's also very, yeah. very 2010s dance pop. And that video like captures that combination very well, I think. You're right. It does. Yeah. So to bring up Carly Rae Jepsen again, uh, my wife said that this reminded her of Call Me Maybe, and I can definitely hear the similarity. Uh, But the song I hear most of all is uh, Firework by Katy Perry. Uh, It has like that explosive Max Martin chorus that just starts at 10 and then just gets louder. And then it has that four on the floor kick drum, which uh, L. King specifically mentions just to make sure you don't miss it. Yeah. And I'm going to include a clip of Firework again, just to annoy Will. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that'll, that'll, I, I clearly don't have enough annoying me in my life already. <laughs> Make him go uh, 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 as you shoot across the sky. Uh, uh, you're right. Baby, you're a I don't like firework, but you are unfortunately correct that America's Sweetheart does sound like it. 
It certainly does. <laughs> it's an it's an earworm. This uh, this is the stuck in my head award from this album. Like, how about you? Um, I don't like this song. <laughs> I, it has nothing to do with the message of the song. And if if somebody, you know, I'm not going to try to come up to somebody who hears this song and feels better about not living up to society's idea of the ideal woman and just say, well, I despise it. <laughs> but it's just it's just not Mike music. I can hear that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Rich mentioned country pop and 2010s dance pop and neither of those are my thing. And it, it just, it sounds like a song I would hear while getting my hair cut, like maybe right after Firework by Katy Perry. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the production style is completely different from the rest of the album. So it really juts out in a way that's kind of alarming to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm with Mike on this one. It, I, the whole... Hacky mainstream radio EDM chorus makes me feel like I'm watching the Victoria's Secret fashion show or something. <laughs> I I can't take it. This one this is one I always skip every yeah. single time. Again again plus plus five for the message behind the song, but minus several million for all the other elements. <laughs> well, I like it, Amanda. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I figured you would. <laughs> yeah, I would. That's that's kind, that's, would. that's kind of the best way of putting it. <laughs> I, I, I I have voluntarily listened to several Katy Perry albums, and uh, I like at least one of them a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm basically the guy furiously brushing his teeth at the Mertzbau concert. So you know, my my hipster opinion doesn't count for much here. I don't think. <laughs> You've been to a Mertzbau concert, though. Yes. <laughs> And I've been to a Carly Rae Jepsen concert. And I've been to an L. King concert. I miss concerts. I anyway. <laughs> I sadly am merely housebound. Um, we'll move on to I Told You I Was Mean, track eight. She did? <laughs> According to her. Once or twice. I told you I was different like all the different people. <laughs> don't have a whole lot to say about it. It's produced by Jackknife Lee, who is an Irish producer who's worked with U2, The Cars, and R.E.M., along with a bunch of more modern groups that I don't really know anything about. 
I was not super surprised to find that out. The sound of this one is very, very clean, like a lot of U2 sounds to me. I Honestly, this one's a little bit too cleaned up. I'd prefer a little bit more grime left on it. That might help, yeah. Yeah. Uh, lyrically, well, it sucks to be that guy, but she told him. <laughs> <laughs> and Honestly, that she wasn't America's sweetheart. Right? She she, So she reiterated it. Yep. <laughs> it, it, the theme kind of reminds me of the movie 500 Days of Summer, in which Zoe Deschanel was perfectly honest with Joseph Gordon-Levitt the whole time, and he was a massive tool about it. And there's no indication that the ex in this song is being a tool, but for real, if somebody tells you up front that they're going to treat you badly, you should believe them. Amanda, I believe the title is open parentheses, 500, <laughs> close parentheses, days of summer. <laughs> you are correct, and I apologize for the error. <laughs> Best line in this song is, I was lonely, so I let you hold me for a limited time only. It does feel like she came up with that line and then just awkwardly hammered it into the song, but it's a pretty good line, so I'm fine with that. <laughs> that is exactly the note I have here. <laughs> I wrote, I let you hold me for a limited time only is the sort of line that sounds like she couldn't fit available only at participating L. Kings to sound right. <laughs> that's, and that's really the only bit that jumped out at me. <laughs> yeah. Now, since I don't have a whole lot to say about the song itself, this feels like a good spot to talk about the overall production style on the album, because even though there are so many different producers working on it, it still feels fairly cohesive. And I think that has to do with how many layers of sound there are on each track. Uh, back on our Def Leppard episode, Mike, you talked about how Mutt Lang's favorite way to get a real big song is to layer it. But he would use like 5,000 layers of the same thing which I think is how it ends up sounding so sterile and bland, like a dozen layers of phyllo dough with no filling. But here, it's tons of layers of different sounds. There's voices and percussion and keyboards and guitars, all kinds of interesting stuff, all manipulated all to hell, so it sounds different. So you still have all these phyllo layers, but there's also, you know, the walnuts and cinnamon and honey and lemon juice, and that's how you got this delicious baklava of an album. <laughs> Uh, rich, let's say. I also don't have much to offer for this song, which it, it always burns a hole in my heart to say that because it, it, I, I always want to say something about every single song to fulfill the mission of this podcast, damn it. But sometimes a song is just a song. Um, it, it's mm -hmm. pretty cool that it's this far into the album before L. King like drops something no, so no frills, though. Like a, there, There's a good amount of yeah production and stylistic diversity going on. Um, and Jackknife Lee, I know him because, yeah, you, you mentioned that he worked with R.E.M. and he, he specifically mm -hmm. produced their final two albums accelerate and do the collapse uh, and those can be also be described as very no frills rem so he seems mm. to specialize oh, in yeah. that i guess yeah that's interesting i didn't know he worked with with rem on those albums yeah jackknife lee was also the guitar player from a sort of a grungy punk band from the mid 90s called compulsion who uh hmm. he was yeah who had a no kidding who had a, a single called basket case at the exact same time that green day did Oh, that's oh. unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, Compulsion were good. Yeah. Yeah, they had some some catchy stuff. That's like the two Truman Capote movies that came out at the same time. <laughs> yeah. The only, the only thing I can specifically remember about Compulsion is that one of their song titles is They're Breeding the Gray Things Again, <laughs> which I loved. That's again. a great title. <laughs> it's a, yeah, both of, I've heard two of their albums and they were both good, so... 
check those out. I guess All if you right. like this song and R.E.M. <laughs> Way to go, Jack Knife Lee. This podcast pro Jack Knife Lee, I guess. We didn't know it, but we were. Apparently. <laughs> well, he's got another good one coming up, so. As for the song itself, I am I also don't have a ton to say about it. I'm a little disappointed that it didn't live up to the title. Because it might be my favorite oh. title on the album. But uh, if you if you call a song I told you I was mean, I kind of expect it to sound a little meaner. But I mean, she does That's a good point. She does plenty of sounding meaner elsewhere on the album, so you know, it's not so bad. Yeah, I suppose that's true. <laughs> now we'll move on to track nine, "Ain't Gonna Drown." gospel territory here and boy does she do that well it was Mm -hmm. tough for me to find a good clip of the song because it's all about the build which is excellent every time around another little detail gets added until the dam bursts i am a sucker for that trick of taking the melody up an octave to increase the intensity it's the same thing that gord downey does in the tragically hip song locked in the trunk of a car uh, yeah. which is another song that I had a really hard time finding a clip for back mm-hmm. on our Tragically Hip episode, and it generally works really well. Now, I have not found confirmation of this from the source, but I am sure this song is a response to the old spiritual Wade in the Water, which I think was first recorded by the Fisk Jubilee Singers. That sounds right to me, though I am completely out of my element uh, (laughs) dissecting something like this, which is to say I'm white. (laughs) As are we all, at least on this podcast. That is a very old song, and the story goes that Harriet Tubman used it to communicate with the people she was bringing north. It's a song that has a long and significant history to African Americans. Now, I'm not sure whether there's any racial component to Ain't Gonna Drown. I'm pretty sure L. King is just taking that gospel message and twisting it into something frightening. And she did that so well. This is a genuinely unsettling song. It's swampy and eerie and foreboding. 
But toward the end, there is an acknowledgement of the original song's history. Listen to the voices and the sound effects. good right wow yeah yeah now to give credit where it's due i did not make this connection myself a friend of mine pointed it out to me and i knew wade in the water but i hadn't made that connection until she mentioned it so friend if you're listening thank you for helping me sound smart (laughs) that's really a cool connection and now the song itself. This was co-written and produced by Jeff Basker, same guy who did Last Damn Night and Cocaine Carolina, and he did a just fantastic job on this. Some slightly strange mixing choices again. He really does like to play with stereo effects, but there's that weird little rattling sound that he drops right in the middle of your head. And I like that a whole lot. Yeah, I think that rattling noise, if I if I'm thinking of the same thing you're talking about, that that sounds to me like a a drum track being played through an extremely blown out speaker. Mm, that's and, possible. Yeah. Or something made to sound like uh, an extremely yeah. blown out speaker. It's it's a very uh, Tom Waitsy sort of production technique. Yeah. yeah, there's a similar effect on the drums on the Decemberist song, We All Die Young. And I remember asking Will uh, if you knew what was making that and you thought they'd put a little bit of a delay on the reverberation on that, which also makes sense to me. I, I'm sure I told you that. But I, <laughs> I, 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 I remember the song. I can't quite remember that particular effect on the song. Mm. But if I'm always right, so naturally, <laughs> if that's what I said. Yeah, I, I have no reason to disbelieve so it you. Goes. It's true, he is. But yeah, I, I like the atmosphere on this song a lot. You can just, you can see the, the fog and the, the trees with those yeah. tangled up roots sticking out above the ground. And uh, mm-hmm. one of my f- first thoughts when I heard it was, well, this this song is just asking to be included in some gritty TV drama I've never heard of. And what do you know? It was. It was It was in a show called Yellowstone that I know nothing really? about. Yeah. There are too <laughs> many damn TV shows. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm amazed it wasn't in True Detective. Uh, yeah. yeah, it does sound like that. But I want to bring up another live version here because I played the earlier one to like point out how much weaker it is in the studio version. And in this case, I want to play one that I really like. So there are a few unaccompanied performances of this song on YouTube, and I get the opposite impression from them than I did, than I did with um, Under the Influence. Uh, I think that they're really at home in a live setting. Ain't gonna drown in the water. Ain't gonna drown in the water. Ain't gonna drown in the water. Listening to live versions of El King because again this this was the 2010s like the age of auto tune and listening to her belt out this song it's pretty clear that there's a that there's very minimal pitch correction on this album if any at all mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know that for a yeah. fact Mike, Mike maybe you can hear it uh, better than I can but it seems to be mostly her mm-hmm. I can't hear it anywhere on this album I know it's pretty much like I read a, an interview with Nico Case once where she talked the the owner of the studio she recorded one of her albums at told her that 
The only two people who have come through that studio that didn't use autotune were her and Nelly Furtado. So hmm. <laughs> it's it's just something. It's just the way things are done. So mm-hmm. maybe there's a little bit of it on this album, just you know, for the sake of making it perfect. But I I can't hear it. Uh, it I think it's mm-hmm. at least ninety percent just her belting it, yeah. which is really refreshing to hear on on such a a new album. Yeah, and I I saw El King live in 2019 as she was opening for Heart and only had a half an hour, but Ain't Gonna Drown was one of the songs she did, and it sounded fantastic. Yeah, I just wanted to qualify that because just I, I mean I, I I figured it was I figured that it's largely her vocals, but I also figured that like there's so many engineers and producers and mixers on this album mm-hmm. that that I figure auto tune yeah. had to come in somewhere just because that's the way yeah that's the way things work, but nonetheless excellent vocal performance. Even if she didn't necessarily need it, they probably just couldn't help themselves. Yeah. <laughs> well, if if they wherever they did use it, if they did, they did a good job of hiding it. Like I'm, I'm, yeah. I've gotten really good yeah. at hearing uh, hearing auto tune where I probably wasn't supposed to hear it, like on live albums mm-hmm. and things. Yeah, I guess just to sum up about uh, "Ain't Gonna Drown," I really like. We've gotten so far into the album, and I still did not expect that she was going to take this left turn into sort of occult weirdness like PJ Harvey or Tom Waits or Jim White might have gone with. And I'm crazy about the the drum loop that spins through this song, which it sounds to me like a wax cylinder recording of some yeah. flim flammer mm. rhythmically thumping his thigh against the table during a seance to pretend the ghosts are there. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's just, it's, it's a terrific, terrific song. This is prob- probably after Cocaine Carolina. It's probably my second favorite. Oh, I love that you like it so much. <laughs> so moving on, we've got uh, Jackson as track 10. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. <laughs> Oops. Why did I not see that coming? I was expecting Johnny and June. <laughs> I'm sorry, Miss Rogers. That was, of course... Miss Jackson by Outcast. You are not for real. A song that came out when El King was 11. Just to remind you guys that we're old. <laughs> Odd. <laughs> Here's El King's Jackson. Mm, guitar drone. Yeah. <laughs> Mama's dead and gone. Papa ain't there. Mama's dead and gone. Papa don't care. Brother buried his head Pocket full of shotgun shells He's just a married man Stuck in that whiskey well What's left of my backbone is building it broken home Building it up just to leave Sin it will change me How could you break me Not breaking the law to break favorite song on this album this is bad ass it's another jack knifley production and he left some grime on it this time yeah he did this is a fucking incredibly good 
blues rock song with the same swampy feel to it as Ain't Gonna Drown, only way angrier. <laughs> <laughs> this is a song that I listen to with my entire body, but only when nobody else is around. <laughs> now, <laughs> I said in our Black Sabbath episode that I don't tend to like it when the drums, bass, and guitar are all doing the same thing. But guess what? I'm a big fat hypocrite because that is what's happening here. And it really gets me. That snarly guitar drone combined with the just enormous low end is a fantastic effect. And there's whatever sound is going on in the background that kind of sounds like howling wind. Plus, the song just builds amazingly well until it gets to the chorus, which I swear to God, this has become one of my very favorite choruses of all time with just incredibly good lyrics. What's left of my backbone is building this broken home, building it up just to leave. It's so good. And the melody in it is excellent. The interval going up to the word leave, it's really unusual and adds to the overall extremely dangerous feeling of this song. Now, I also think this is Elle's best vocal performance on this album, and she is a damn good singer. Her voice starts off fairly small at the beginning of the song, but it builds and builds and builds until it is enormous. She's very snarly the whole time, right along with that guitar, and then there's that thing she does with her voice at the end of the bridge that is just to die for. These dreams I made It took me a long time to fully appreciate this song, but now it's one that genuinely moves me every time I hear it. There aren't very many songs where if somebody were to tell me they don't really like it, I would argue with them. But if you guys tell me you don't really like this, I am going to fucking argue with you (laughs) until midnight. (laughs) So you best be prepared. I don't like this song. No, I like it. I'm going to claim I like it just because I'm sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> However, I, uh, I I I tried to come up with something like original to say about it, but I I, I don't know. I just it's a nice like yeah swampy blues rock song like you said. Uh, I, I just um but as far as I can tell, the title refers to Jackson, Ohio, which is around where El King grew up, and that's like deep hmm. rural Ohio. Pure we're talking pure Midwest here, which uh, I well that's a surpri- I actually assumed it was Jackson, Mississippi, just because the song sounds so swampy. Yeah, I, so I did too. Interesting to me, uh, a lot of it's interesting uh, to learn. A lot of cities in America named after that shitty president. Well, that's but I, <laughs> well, yes. But but I but I think that El King's entire journey uh, as an artist is really interesting because I, I I'm sure that being related to Rob Schneider has opened some doors for her over the years. Uh, sorry to bring him up again, Amanda. But uh, I think it's interesting <laughs> that she has a celebrity father, but not like the privileged, guided, groomed upbringing that that would imply. Like uh, like she she really right. lived in the middle of nowhere and not dissing Ohio here, but... Uh, you can diss Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Except for GBV and Devo, nothing seems to redeem Ohio. Yes. Well, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is in Ohio. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> and I like Cincinnati too, but they put chili on spaghetti, which is weird. Uh, but the, but she like, bizarre. but she gradually built her musical sense, like from her stepfather's collection, from music camp, from like sneaking into clubs in New York, just from experiencing music. And uh, I just like that. It's that the result is the really distinctive sort of smorgasbord you get throughout love stuff. And the song is no exception. 
Yeah, I'm with Amanda here. This is my favorite on the album. I, I will, yes. I will not really? be here till midnight. Uh, it's just <laughs> such, a, such a big sounding stomper of a song and she just wails on it. Uh, the riff is just as simple as can be, but I something about uh, the the way the piano and the guitar and the organ are offset to make that. <clears throat> it's, you know, you don't need more than two chords. Three and you're into jazz. Uh, <laughs> and it's also the moment on the album. It's the only time a female singer has ever reminded me of Ben Ottawell from Gomez, who has been compared to both Tom Waits and a water buffalo. <laughs> I love silence, silence killing me. Sitting here in silence, man, I don't get no peace. I guess I can hear that comparison. Ben Ottawell is a, is a terrific singer, yeah. too. He's, if you guys are not familiar with Gomez, mm-hmm. uh, their album's... Bring It On and In Our Gun in particular are tremendous. And he's got this low, raspy wetlands of a voice, too. Mm-hmm. And I can, yeah, I can totally hear that comparison, though I, it never have occurred to me to make it. It's it's just something, it's the raspy quality and also just sort of the, the way she phrases things in the chorus there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I like this one a lot. Yeah, I think that's great. Although I, <laughs> the way she phrases things in the chorus was somewhat, Incorrect, I found, because I initially thought she was singing Take Jack's Anatomy. (laughs) (laughs) And is that different from Grey's Anatomy? (laughs) They can have that too. Uh, I meant the medical textbook more than the TV show, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it didn't didn't make a big uh, emotional impact on me that way. But yeah, it's uh, honestly, it wasn't much of a standout for me i don't dislike it at all but i certainly will go back in with and give it another open listen yeah listen to it again <laughs> that's more carefully i that's an I order tend to amanda you better will <laughs> i only have one syllable in my name so it doesn't sound like that when you yell at me all right christopher <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's your nickname, Will. <laughs> oh yeah, I... Christopher Williams. That's right. I... <laughs> Before I embarrass myself further, we're going to go on to make you smile, track eleven. I like what you do, and I like what you keep doing. Your eyes look mighty fine. I really think I'm losing. Oh. oh, oh.
she'd fall down at your door. <laughs> oh, damn it! I already, I'd already, I'd already written something about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this sure is a total shift. It's like the sun coming out after a big thunderstorm, but still with loud drums. It, this <laughs> is utterly unlike anything else on the album. Where the hell did this cheerful little bop come from? But I really like the song a lot, even though it is wildly out of place. I am a sucker for a cheerful, upbeat love song. And once again, the lyrics in this one are really good. Uh, my favorite line in this is, pretty boy, don't be shy, like all your bad ideas. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> Plus, it is in and out in two and a half minutes. The one big problem in this is, holy mackerel, does she ever lose momentum. In the, the verses and again in the chorus, the drum is working really hard to keep up the pace. And I feel like the vocal is just fighting it the whole way. So I wish the melody hadn't just wasted all that energy it built up at the beginning. But I still really like this one. This is another Jackknife Lee production. And it turns out I like his style a lot. Evidently. <laughs> that's That still blows my mind that he's the guy from Compulsion. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Anyway, Mike, what about you? What do you think about this I one? I gotta admit, I'm I'm not super into this one. Although it, it doesn't actively annoy me or anything. I think part of it might, <laughs> I think part of it might be that you know she's just spent the bulk of this album breaking up with you because you're boring. You know, I gotta admit, I I don't entirely believe that she would walk a thousand miles to make somebody smile. Uh, and I don't believe <laughs> I don't believe that the Proclaimers would do it either. So you know, just to be fair, <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, what about you? Well, half of my commentary was just going to be that same proclaimers joke that you two have already made so far. I, I, I feel like I'm on Hollywood Squares and the card that says joke. Uh, I can't use that card anymore, so I have to go back to the card that says opinion. And my opinion is, what a nice song. This is a lovely song. This uh, I don't have anything very like complex to say about it but it feels like a great album track from like one of the 90s Lilith Fair artists like Natalie Merchant or Lisa Loeb hmm. or someone similar yeah. like that yeah yeah um, I can see that yeah I I heard it as like Sean Sean Colvin or, or mm, mm-hmm. Cheryl Crow or somebody along those lines yeah it's a it's a cheerful little number and we're gonna close things out with the uh, final track <laughs> on this album i'm the worst moderator i swear oh so t- 12 track here now um <laughs> see you again title go music go now we've got seven days till we say goodbye back to separate ways but i'll miss you more this time So won't you stay Till the morning I've been frozen since that night you sang with me One more day For you to hold me Cause I don't know when I'll see you again. This song doesn't exist. <laughs> as far well, as I'm it. concerned, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, Make You Smile is the last track on the album. This one is even more wildly out of place, and there's just not really anything to it. 
I think if it were much shorter, more of a fragment, like around 45 seconds or a minute, I think it would work a lot better. But it's three and a half minutes, which is awfully long for a song that doesn't really do anything. If it were up to me, I'd have just left this one off. But nobody ever asks me. <laughs> yeah, I think just at the length of our the clip that we played just now, it, it would have been that would have been perfect just as a a little post <laughs> a wafer thin mint to end the meal. <laughs> well, then the well then the album would have exploded. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, there's there is that, and we. <laughs> so it's probably for the best for all concerned. But no, I, th- I think it's really pretty. It, it reminded me of, there's a Canadian singer-songwriter named John K. Sampson, who used to be in the band The Weaker Thans. Mm, I know them. Who, uh, he, his albums are are similarly beautiful, but his, I, I find him a lot more moving lyrically than I do L. King for some reason. Mm. But at any rate, that's what it reminded me of. And I got nothing against this song, so how about you, Rich? Uh, I don't mind it. I, I I also just don't really have. It's just a nice little like wispy song to end the album. But the the main hook kind of reminds me of "I Won't Back Down" by Tom Petty. But that's also kind of a a, a very oh, yeah, a like, basic chord progression. And, and because it sounds like it, I'm kind of surprised Tom Petty didn't show up with his lawyers and say like <laughs> I'm going to need those royalties, please, because I invented that very simple chord sequence. But like he I don't want to disrespect. Was it Sam Smith? Yeah, it was Sam Smith. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's a. I don't want to disrespect the dead here, but uh, just that whole episode with Tom Petty kind of annoyed me. It's okay. Yeah, we're on the record multiple times as adoring Tom Petty. I think it's okay to say he <laughs> screwed up that one time. Mm-hmm. Mike. Well, I. You know, there are worse things than ending an album with a song that doesn't exist. Uh, you know, Boards of Canada did the very same thing on GeoGaddy. Uh, Magic Window is an entirely silent track. So, you know, there's, you know, it's not unprecedented. It's, it's orange. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I don't have much else to say about this one, admittedly. Yeah, it is. It kind of, the whole episode kind of limps to a close, I guess, with that one, <laughs> unfortunately, but... Why are you indicting it's, Amanda's entire episode just because El King ended her album weekly? Because <laughs> none of us had anything to say about it. So what do you think about the album as a whole, Amanda? Sum it all up for us. It fucking rules. Of all the debut albums I have heard, I honestly think that this is one of the best. It is wall-to-wall bangers until the very end when it falls out a window. But that's Okay. <laughs> El King does not pull her punches, and I love that about her music. This is not a perfect album, and it has its weak spots, but these songs are undeniably great, and she is an amazing performer, plus she will rock your face off when she feels like it. <laughs> I love her so much that it, back in 2019, as I mentioned before, my friend and I went to a heart concert because El King was opening for them. <laughs> and it was an amazing <laughs> show. Cheryl Crow was there, too, so it's interesting that you mentioned her before. And make you smile. It was L. King, then Sheryl Crow, then Hart. We had a fantastic time. But the reason we went was L. King. (laughs) I don't know how influential we really are here at Discord and Rhyme. All those artists who got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame right after we did episodes on them are probably a coincidence. (laughs) But if we have any influence over you at all, I hope you take my advice and go buy L. King's albums right now. (laughs) 
Well, we'll have to see if Mary Timoney makes it into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think she's she's the, the uh, test artist, we'll, right? Then we'll know. And uh, yeah. the, I guess uh, to use that as a transition, I'm really happy we covered this album for the same reason we covered that Helium album, because uh, it, it's fun to come up with new takes on, like, you know, the popular existing largely male musical canon. But I also really like giving the discord and rhyme treatment to albums by badass women that just don't get the press that they should. I had never heard of this before. Yeah, I, I hadn't either. And I feel very fortunate that Amanda slapped me in the face with this record and because <laughs> it, it and it did it took admittedly a few times to really grow on me but uh it once it did it really impressed me and introduced me to a new artist who as with phoebe bridgers who i mentioned earlier i mm-hmm. feel like she's still got she's she's made an amazing record but yeah. i feel like she's still got her masterpiece inside her somewhere I'm really looking forward to seeing where she goes. Yeah, that's that's fair for both Phoebe Bridgers and L. King. And you're, we really should cover Stranger in, in the Alps one of these days. Yeah, you heard it here first, listeners. Yeah. Stranger in the Alps. <laughs> this yeah. is what happens. We're, we're going to have a knockdown, drag out, bloody fight over who gets to host it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, any final thoughts? Uh, well, I, I got to be completely truthful here. I only really like about two thirds of this album. But the two thirds of the album I mm-hmm. like are really good and there are a a bunch of songs that i would otherwise probably not have heard if uh amanda hadn't roped me into this episode so i'm i'm glad she did because this was a lot of fun good two-thirds is a decent proportion that's yeah yeah Yeah. and also i'm gonna be completely truthful too it was really fun for me to kind of confound you a little bit mike (laughs) yeah well this is very much out of my uh this is Definitely out of my comfort zone, for sure, as far as, like, music mm-hmm. I know how to talk about. So, yeah, this this was very interesting. I'm really glad you ended up liking as much of it as you did. <laughs> yeah, me too. And well, now you're going to be on the Mertzbau episode, <laughs> Amanda. <laughs> oh, I suppose it's only fair. <laughs> so before we sum up, Amanda, if people out there like El King, what else should they be listening to? Her second album, Shake the Spirit, came out in 2018, and I'm afraid it's not quite as good as Love Stuff. I do like a lot of the songs on it, but there are a few that just don't really work. And I found that it uses the same few production tricks over and over, so it all ends up sounding kind of samey. It reminds me of the time John Paul Jones got really excited about playing the mandolin and it's all over Zeppelin 4. <laughs> but the first single from Shake the Spirit was called Shame and it, it kind of tanked, which is unfair because I think that one really is a good song. to shake the spirit once but but i liked it a lot personally honestly 
honestly about as much as love yeah. stuff myself with the caveat that it's aimed a lot more at my very particular music tastes uh, like uh, as you heard on as you could hear on that clip there's a lot more new wave and synth pop influence and uh, yeah there, there's more of a sense mm. of humor on the album even if the jokes don't always land and it's got a song co-written with um ben gibbard from death cab for cutie and the postal service which is interesting oh, yeah. oh really yeah yeah and there's also there is a really lovely little Roy Orbison Del Shannon pastiche on there called Runaway that I think is my favorite track on the album. My It. Second half of this episode is Shake the Spirit. You guys ready for another two hours? <laughs> <laughs> so aside from that whole album, she's done several one-off collaborations with other artists, including Miranda Lambert and Nathaniel Rateliff. And she sang a duet with Dolly Parton for the Dumplin' soundtrack, which was a good movie, by the way. You all should watch it. Uh, the song we heard at the top of this episode, Good Girls, uh, played over the end credits of Ghostbusters, as Rich mentioned earlier. And all of these are easy to find and well worth tracking down if you enjoy L. King's voice, as you should. She also released an EP this past fall called In Isolation. There's only three songs on it, but they're all good. And just a couple of weeks ago, she put out another single called Another You. Well, if nobody has anything else, next up in two weeks, Discord and Rhyme is pouring some sugar on you. No, we already covered that album. I'm talking about Bob Mould's band Sugar and their excellent 1993 album Copper Blue. And we'll be joined by special guest Scott Floman, co-host of the podcast Music Nerds Unite and a longtime friend of ours. All right, Scott, Scott, Scott. <laughs> Scott. Woo! He's really awesome. <laughs> Let's roll some credits. Thank you very much for listening to Discord and Rhyme. You can buy Love Stuff and other albums by L. King at your local record store or directly from lking.com or soundcloud.com slash lkingmusic. You can also get it at the usual places such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and Amazon. We have also made you a Spotify playlist that you can find on our website, discordpod.com. You can also follow Discord and Rhyme at discordpod on Twitter for news and updates, and on Instagram for pictures of our pets. Editing is by Rich, and special thanks to Mike for production, our theme song, and original music. See you next album, and be ever wonderful. Making podcasts. Making podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>